Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it, of course, it is what we call Victory Lane. Today on the Ricky Craven and Greg Sachs edition. Fun fact, I didn't know Ricky Craven drove the 50 until I looked up a picture of his car, and then I was like, oh, it's that number 50. And frankly, I I know of Greg Sachs, but I don't know too much about him. But this is why we have Racing Reference, people. So it's the Ricky Craven and and the Greg Sachs edition of the show. We have the founder, creator, and grand poobah of Sim Seats, and my good friend Ben Yarrow's cousin, as it happens to be, Zach McAfee. Now, I, I know you're probably saying, wow, another iRacing guy, another uh, you know, simulator guy. No, not quite. This guy's a racer through and through. We talked about that and how his aspirations and goals to become a race car driver shifted a little bit, and that became something that he transformed his passion from racing into giving the others the opportunity to race in a virtual form. So... Uh, it's really cool, his story about Sim Seats, how it got started, how it blew up, and especially in the last, not just year and a half, but in the last like month or so with the coronavirus and everything that it's brought to a halt in the sports world and the sports landscape, esports and simulation racing has gone way up. So he gives us some facts and figures in terms of numbers that their company has done not just in the past year, but in the past 10 days or so, and how that kind of compares to what they made last year. Some really cool stories about drivers that he's had the the privilege of working with and how some have become like starstruck and some are now like, oh my God, why are you texting me so often? And also just some other pinch me moments. And if you're kind of a technological geek or whatever, he'll get into the weeds with you about some certain simulators and what do what certain things and the price ranges and everything like that. So we'll hit on it all. Again, this is Zach McAfee of Sim Seats. Thank you to Zach for his conversation. Thanks to my boy, Ben, and of course, Jakey and Allie uh, for helping me coordinate this conversation. So here he is, Zach McAfee. Time to welcome on the creator, the founder, owner, grand poobah, what have you, of the organization and company known as Sim Seats. His name is Zachary McAfee, but we'll just call him Zach for the purposes of this conversation. And I'll start off with this. So we talked about a little bit off mic before we started recording, but our mutual friend happens to be one of your family members, Ben Yarrow, hooked us up. And it was a funny conversation because Ben sent me a link to a story that was done on you in a local Richmond News and is like, yo, this is uh, this is the guy I was telling you about. He's my cousin. I was like, and you guys know that you listen to the podcast, like, you know, my friends in the in my circle here, they don't do NASCAR. So I'm like, Ben, you did not tell me about this. If you told me about this, I would have freaked out. And he's like, <laughs> well, I'm telling you now. So fast forward a couple weeks later, and me and Zach are hopping on the Zoom. And here we are. And talking about sim seats. So, Zach, thank you for joining me. It's great to have you on. I'm looking forward to it, my man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. So this is a, a really good time to be in the racing simulator business. 
I'd say that you guys are doing pretty well at the moment, huh? Uh, it is incredible. I, this, there, <laughs> I mean, there's no racing right now. I mean, the only racing that exists is sim racing. And um, we've always been an equipment supplier for sim racers, but now we're an equipment supplier for all racers because there's nothing else for them. And I mean, not to say that, you know, we only tailored to sim racers before we've always tailored to drivers, but this was always practice for them. It was, you know, something to do during the week because, you know, they're trying to get more track time and once a week on the weekends isn't enough, but now it's not only during the week, but it's the weekends too. You just get on FS1 and, and you'll see the NASCAR race and some of those drivers are in sim seats. Yeah, I mean, because, and, and I'll say it off the jump, you know, I was not an iRacer, I'm not an esports guy, but now that we're in the situation that we're all in, I have become a little bit of that type of guy because we're starving for any sort of sports or entertainment in general, and Fox Sports, NASCAR, everybody in the iRacing community has come together and said, hey, let's let's build something. Exactly. So here, here's my question to you. How does a guy from Richmond get into this business overall? Like, how did you get into the business of building sim rigs for simulation racing? I know, and I know you race a little bit yourself. I'm sure that your passion and love for the sport had to tie into that as well. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was purely from passion of driving myself. I, um, I kart raced when I was a kid. I started when I was about 12 years old and, um, did kart racing and i was just like everybody else probably that starts at that age that's a nascar fan is thinking hey i'm gonna mm -hmm. work my way up the ranks and i'm gonna pick up a driver one day and um and so i did that um for years and, and it was me and my dad and it was an outlet for both of us and we got to the point where we had a huge operation we had four carts that we would run all four every weekend i had two he had two we ran in super stock and limited modified if you're familiar with the the classes back then but this mm -hmm. is a while ago yep. and um and so we had a serious setup and we were doing pretty good we were running vdk and all and then um i was i started going to engineering school and the the load of engineering school which um at vcu at the time was every semester you had to go full time you had to go overtime uh, you actually had to apply for a waiver every semester to be able to finish in four years um so it was wow. pretty heavy uh, program and I found myself bringing homework to the racetrack trying to stay on top of things and um, I, I kind of made a decision um, one day and I just said I don't think I'm gonna be a race car driver um, but I could be a um, an engineer you know I know I could do that so I'm gonna be a career guy doing engineering so I'm gonna do that and so I cut back on my racing and then just like the same conversation we're having now, when there is no racing, you still try to find the outlet. And I started getting into right. actually Gran Turismo and, uh, you know, I was in that in high school anyways, but then it was like, all right, this, you know, it was getting a little bit better. And, um, I was, you know, like, I'm going to get a wheel and pedals and I want to, I want to do some, some driving. And there were not a whole lot of rigs back then. This is probably, this is like early 2000. And, okay. um, and so I just, you know, I bought a Logitech wheel and pedals and then I'm like, I'm not, I'm not clamping this on my desk. I'm going to build a rig and I like fabrications. So, um, I went to VCU, which I was taking a sculpture class there at the time and gave me unlimited access to their metal shop. And they had this, this, I swear it was like six or seven feet tall pile of scrap metal. Every time I tell a story, the pile gets taller. <laughs> um, 
and you could take whatever you wanted. It's like, who knows, like bed frames and all kinds of crap in there. You just take whatever you want. You cut it up. And I made a frame. Just stuff that people don't want. Throw, yeah. in the, throw in the pot. Yeah. And it's like, you know, anybody can use it. It's all rusty old metal. And, and so I made a frame. I had a, um, a seat that I got from a junkyard. Um, and I built the frame around it, built the wheel and pedals on it. And actually, I was driving. I haven't told this story in a while. I was driving an RX-7 at the time, second gen RX-7. And nice. I... I drove, drove over there, built this frame, and I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to take it home. Well, I made it so big it didn't fit in the car, so I had to, I had to cut it in <laughs> half and then make it so you could bolt it together. Oh, man. <laughs> so that, was, that was my first lesson in business is um, think about how you're going to get it to the customer. <laughs> <laughs> and Transportation so, is key. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that was basically, you know, um, long story, uh, not too long. That was basically the, the first frame that I made. And I took one over, I took it over to my dad's house and more or less, he didn't give it back cause he liked it. So I went and made my own and then, <laughs> you know, I made a couple for some other friends. And the next thing you know, like we're, um, you know, I'm helping people out making frames for them. And they're like, well, why don't you build them and sell them? And I was like, well, I mean, I'm just doing this for fun, you know? So why would I do that? And, um, and, and after maybe a year of just doing it for fun and we would do like Gran Turismo land parties and this was PlayStation 2 GT4. Not a lot of people knew that you could land these things together. We figured it out and I actually <laughs> had to put the host PlayStation 2 on a bit cool because it would overheat and lock up. <laughs> this is it's a, like Tom Majeski set up on iRacing <laughs> with, like with like a bowl of ice and a fan. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is old school stuff. You just made it work. And, um, and I just decided at one point, Hey, you know what, I'm going to make a couple of these and, um, put them on eBay and I'll try to make them cheap. You know, I was thinking if I make them cheap, then I can kind of get in the market. And a friend of mine, Brian Haggard, um, he said, yeah, I'll come help you. So he, the two of us would go in my garage and, um, we would build them. And so I'd put them on eBay and they would sell like super fast. Cause I was selling them pretty cheap and I was using a cheap seat and mm -hmm. stuff and people were looking for a cheap simulator and love made in USA. <laughs> And, um, we were, we'd spend all weekend to make two really basic simulators and probably made 50 bucks <laughs> for all that time. We came out of wow. my garage, like covered in like black soot Cause we were, we didn't have the right tools. We were spray painting in there. We looked like coal miners when we come out of my garage and, <laughs> and, but people kept buying them and we just, they were just selling every time. As soon as I put on eBay, boom, it's sell. And I said, how much are you selling these for? I mean, I get it. It was a, it was a different time and different yeah, and everything, but how much are they going for? They were cheap. They were less than 200 bucks. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, That's well, dirt cheap. Yeah. And so, well, it was like, it was a, um, it was that plastic injection molded seat from Jags, which is super cheap. It's like 30 yeah. bucks. And then the rest of it, we built the frame and it's like, well, hell, I think we're doing pretty good. You know, if we, if we sell a frame for 180 bucks and, my cost is like 30 plus a little bit of paint and metal. Like, yeah, that's probably pretty good. You're um, making a was, little profit. Why not? Yeah. But another lesson in business was if you think you're making a little bit of money, you're not making any. <laughs> so, well, what's the saying in racing? If you want to make a small fortune, start with a big one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, so we did that for a while and then, you know, slowly had a little bit of money coming in. And then, uh, you know, after about a month at max, maybe two, I just said, I can't be in this garage anymore. So I sublet one corner of a large warehouse for next to nothing from a family friend, Russ Roscoe. And um, that was 10 years ago. 
And um, since then, we took over that whole space, which is one suite. And now we've taken over the suite next to us. So we've almost taken over the entire building that we're in. And, you know, that's basically just the progression of business. And now we've gone from $200 simulators to uh, up to $70,000 simulators I've built. When you started this thing and you took that, that hunk of scrap metal, like you said, this started out as just, just not really a joke, but something to do for fun, right? Could you ever have imagined in the weeks that followed? I mean, we're not talking years. We're talking when you're making rigs for your dad or your friends, something like that. Did you ever see the possibility of it becoming this big and kind of becoming a viable entity like this? I, I guess I always wondered about that. I, I actually initially had always thought that, well, how many people are out there that want to buy a simulator? I mean, at some point, you know, there's, it's a small market and those few people are going to buy one and then they're not going to need it anymore. Right. It was almost like I was waiting for the market to get saturated because I mean, how many people really need this thing? And, and so I always wanted to sell more and, you know, always wanted it to grow, but I, I didn't know what that really looked like. And I certainly never predicted how the world would change that as the quality of the software and the quality of the controls got better and better that it actually became a tool like a necessity like if you're in the if you're in the garage area and you don't have a simulator you've got a disadvantage Mm -hmm. i i never predicted that at some point along the way i wanted that you know I I, i could see the technology getting better we were getting more into iRacing and i thought you know what i think you know, it's not even really creating a market. I mean, it kind of is creating a market, but showing people that you need this and it, and it is effective. And that's when it really started getting momentum uh, well beyond. And I had a vision too at that point, which was well beyond, you know, those, those first couple of weeks of making these simulators never would have thought or dreamt that. But then the more we did it, the, the, the kind of dream and the vision started to develop, um, which very much required the the types of um of high-end steering wheel pedals and and software and stuff that's available now very much required that and once it started becoming available then we just took off and started going that direction and now i work with a bunch of cup drivers and pro road racing guys and stuff like that and and they depend on me just as much as they depend on their chassis build right. of their of their car you know so um yeah it's i couldn't have envisioned it but it's i I started to as I started to see that possibility and then I went for it. Something also just occurred to me while you were talking there. So when you started building these, it was kind of for fun with your buddies playing Gran Turismo on PS2 in like the early to mid 2000s. I believe iRacing was launched in 2006. So this is before iRacing was even a thing. Maybe the ideas were there for it and, and the appetite was there for a somewhat real life simulation rig. I mean, you had your and our 2003 PC game that was kind of the iRacing before iRacing, but you were like a predecessor to iRacing in a way. Well, I'll give, I mean, it was before iRacing for sure, but I mean, I would give iRacing credit too because the old Papyrus games, right? Yep. And, and so I, I, was, I was playing those. Um, I can't remember which one it was, but there's a NASCAR one where the smoke was circles and triangles and squares. Do you remember that? I think so. <laughs> I'm not positive because I wasn't into gaming and, and you're a little bit older than me, but I do remember seeing highlights yeah. and I might've played it once or twice. 
yeah, there were no graphics to speak of, but we were still doing it. I mean, it wasn't Atari, but it was, you know, it was old school NASCAR driving, but it was a lot of fun. And so, you know, I was, the possibility of doing this was there. And actually the guys that developed iRacing, you know, they were, they were the ones that developed that software. Mm. So um, I think we were all growing at the same time and, you know, the legit operations that you see now, like SimSeats or like iRacing, they were all born at about the same time period. You know, we were, we were a little bit before in terms of our idea, our ideas, but you know, our incorporation right. was actually in 2010. So. Kind of like you guys were all, all in the same path. You just didn't even know you were existing with each other yeah. almost, you know? Exactly. And yeah. And then at one point we would depend on each right. other. Right. It's crazy how that works. So mm-hmm. you talked about how it kind of took off and people started seeing what you were doing and you listed them on eBay for dirt ass cheap. But I think I read that you wound up taking a rig to VIR, Virginia International Raceway, one time, and um, somebody asked to buy one, and that's kind of where it took off to the next level there as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That, w- that was definitely a step change in the business model. Uh, before that, uh, you know, we were just building the rig and the seat, and we didn't supply any electronics. It was just, tell me what you have, and I'll build the frame to match what you have and then you can put it all together yourself and actually when we got into iRacing because I got out of console and and started messing around with PC um, I put together a whole package of what you could do with it you know so like here's our frame here's our monitor stand here's our keyboard tray so if you want to buy that stuff like I need to show what it can do so I put it all I put one together and I went I took it down to VIR I rented one of their garages and I set up uh, I, I think it was like three simulators on on PlayStation 2 and Gran Turismo 4 and then one simulator on iRacing because that was the more expensive one for me. It didn't have I didn't really have any money to speak of in the, the business. Golden so that days was a big of video deal games, I'll tell you. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big deal to have a, a PC iRacing system. So I only had one and I brought it there just to show people what it was all about. And it just had Logitech on it. You know, it wasn't controls. It wasn't anything too crazy, but it was a triple screen. And, and so my idea was, I'm going to take it to VIR. We're going to have some fun. I'm not like a super sales guy. I don't, I don't even like being a salesperson, mm-hmm. like a, a pushy salesperson. I like to show a good product. And then, hey, if you're interested, you know, it sells itself. Right. And, and I can talk you right. through it. You know, that's kind of more my style. So we're here having fun. And people are asking about the product. I'm like, yeah, you can buy the frame, this and that. And, um, you know, we build all this stuff in house. And um, one guy walked up um, and said, he looked at the iRacing one. He said, well, how much is all of this together? And I told him, I said, well, I don't, I don't make all of this. You know, I, I make the frame and then you can go buy your monitors and your, and your keyboard and, and your, and your PC and you can do all that stuff. And he said, well, yeah, but well, how much is it all together? Like if I just wanted you to sell me all of it, how much would it cost? And I mean, I mean, when I'm selling stuff for like three or 400 bucks, I just, I thought about it for a minute while he was standing there. And I said, I don't know, man, it'd be like $4,000. And he goes, oh, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. And he walks off and I thought to myself, holy shit, that doesn't sound too bad. That's a lot of money. <laughs> You're like, damn, I should have said 10. And I said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, wait, it's five. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, 
I, I just, you know, like everything else in this business, I, I've just always gone off of customer feedback and, um, you know, what they want. They tell it, people will tell you what they want. And if you just do it, then they buy it. It's very simple to grow a business. And, and so I was like, all right, people want the whole thing. Okay. I'll figure out what, how much that costs. So I you know, put together a spreadsheet and I priced everything out, put together a package, put them online. And, um, the turnkey packages that we sell today were born and at one point and actually probably now by revenue are the biggest selling items that that we offer is complete turnkey packages you got to find that guy that you saw at vir and thank him for all this i know i'd give him a hug but we can't these yeah, days that's true i man i wish like i wish he would have bought it there i mean did you ever hear from that guy again no um I did sell a couple Sims while I was there, but just the rigs. It was just kind of funny. This one guy is the, is the turning point of the business. <laughs> and if you're a listening guy, you do not get a share of the company, but I'll give you a deal. <laughs> yeah. On yeah. He'll give you a cheap, uh, he'll give you a cheap deal on a turnkey rig. That's for sure. That that's really cool. <laughs> so it, would you say that that trip to VIR was kind of the moment where your, your mindset shifted from, all right, maybe we can make a couple hundred bucks on this thing to, okay, maybe this is a little bit more serious. Maybe there's some more demand for it. Let's try to take this to the next level. Do you think the VIR trip was the moment? Yeah, it was for sure. And and also what it taught me is a desire for, you know, give me something ready to go. You're the experts, you do it all. And most people are not price sensitive that, yeah. that want you to do that. So they understand the value of all the engineering and the design and, and the time that you spent to develop something like that, they understand that and they're willing to pay for it. And so that was the, that was the turning point for sure. That well, trip. I can see that too, because I mean, I'm, I'm no, you know, stuck in the caveman ages or anything, but I'm not the best at technology either. So I can see somebody going up and, and seeing a rig and saying how much for this. And then if somebody's like, well, I don't give you the console, I can only give you the seat and this, that, and the other, I could totally see somebody saying, can you just give me everything that it takes to do what Dale Jr. and Timmy Hill and Garrett Smith are doing on Sundays? Can you give me everything all in one and install it for me? I mean, that makes it so much easier for the consumer, like you said. And if the consumer wants something, you tailor what they want to, to their needs and you give it to them. And that's exactly what you did. So I, I can see why that would be kind of influential in that respect. I mean, think about going to a car dealership and they had an option where you could just buy a kit for a Honda Civic. Like nobody would do that. Right. Like, it's too complicated. <laughs> yeah. or, or, or like, well, here's the chassis and you figure out the engine on yourself. Good luck. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so it's obviously a drastic um, um, example, but when I look at the showroom that we have now, I look at it like a car dealership. I mean, you walk in here and the four different packages that we have offered online are in here. You can test drive them all. You can pick out which one you like. You can figure out what color combo you want. Um, you can even do custom orders. And then, you know, we place an order for you, your custom order. And then four weeks later, your car, or in this case, simulator, is ready for pickup. And, and you're right. We also do installation, too. That, that was a surprise how popular that is. And now that we've done them so much, I don't even like selling full packages without installation because we do so much for the customer when we do an install we actually build it here in the shop i've got techs that build them it takes a couple of days they load up everything on the pc they fine tune it uh, all the software that they all the settings that they like and so when you drop it off with the customer you don't have them figuring stuff right. out you can just say 
hey, we got it all up and running. We got the settings exactly how. All you got to do is plug her in and go. Plug it in and go. No, I'll plug it in for for you. All you got to do is go. (laughs) That's right. Make it as easy as possible. (laughs) Yeah, and so that's really valuable. Get people into iRacing faster and not have them do this whole let me try to figure out what i need what cables do Mm -hmm. i need and you know if you're not a pc guy that can be very frustrating and i think it's also um a barrier uh, for entry for some people like uh, i'd love to do irising but it's on a pc and i don't know anything about that yeah um and and so we can help kind of break that barrier down and even people that don't buy a full package i mean they just want to buy the components and say hey i'm i'm trying to save some money and buy this stuff on my own and i'll figure out you know, most of it, I'll still give them guidance and say, Hey, you know what? We like the sound system or we like this video card or, you know, whatever. I I'm happy to help people get into it because the more people that are in the sport, uh, the better it is for everybody. hundred percent agree. Um, absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, you have some it guys working on certain things and, and I'm sure there's welders, fabricators, what have you. I mean, how many people are you employing for this whole operation? Uh, on a regular basis, I have six guys, and then I have a few others that help with um, shows that we go to and installations that we do. Um, I've got two guys that are dedicated builders, and they're actually um, pretty big eye racers themselves. Uh, one of them is uh, Garrett Maines. He's in the Road to Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Reese Bayham, he's, he's working his way up too. So, you know, the cool thing is my builders, the guys that are setting up your PC, are big time eye racers and they know all the tips and tricks. They know better than I do. Yeah, learner from the best. Um, I, I'm an old guy now. Apparently, I don't <laughs> know what the hell I'm talking about. So I got I got these guys to do it for me. And so, um, and then I've got the fabrication crew. Yeah, you're right. I've got um, welder. I've got uh, you know we bring in steel to 12 foot lengths, and it all has to be cut to size. So we got a guy that cuts it all down and operates the CNC machine and cuts angles and drills holes and. Um, then I've got a powder coater, so we powder coat in house and, um, and then we got the whole shipping side cause you got to do that too. So, um, you know, it's not a huge operation, but it's, it's pretty good. And we got, we're starting to, um, get our experts in their place and, and it's really starting to get fine tuned, especially now it's, it's shining because we've seen a huge spike in demand just over the past couple of weeks. And all we had to do was work more hours. Everybody knows what they're doing. They know their job well. And we actually reduced our lead time on chassis components, even though the the demand went up just because it's become, you know, the more volume you have, the the more efficient you become. And um, as long as you're prepared for it. And fortunately, I would say, luckily, (laughs) um, we were prepared for it this time. That's impressive. And we should also say that, your guys' operation is in Richmond, Virginia. And I mean, l- like you said at the beginning, when people see made in the USA and everything is made right there in your guys' shop in Richmond, everything's fabricated, welded, uh, bolted together, shipped. I mean, everything is done in-house. Nothing is shipped from anywhere else, and you guys all do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. That's the, whole, the chassis is, is manufactured here. I mean, electronics, you know, those come from other mm-hmm. countries, but assembled in USA for sure. Um, all the, uh, steel is, is hand fabricated. It's, um, not, not machines doing it. It's, it's guys doing it. Um, there's a lot of quality in the product because, you know, we all care about what we're doing. Uh, you know, my guys regularly will bring me apart and, and say, Hey, is this okay? And just the fact that they are looking is, is great for me because that's what I need. Yeah. It's, it does say a lot. So it's made in USA and it's really high quality stuff. 
and so it's a premium product. You know, it's a little more than than the options that you get at um, you know on Amazon that that's coming from other countries that have cheaper labor and, and they're more mass produced. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if that's your budget, go for it, get it, because we need more people in the sport. But if you have the ability to get something from us, it's a little more, and it is so worth it. Uh, the equipment is so much yeah. better um, in terms of stability. And that's really, you know, since, since we have control over the frame, that's what we really work on hard is to make it as stable as possible and also to work on ergonomics. And we're, most of us here are drivers, and we know what it should feel like sitting in a car um, one of my guys, Eric Donovan, he's a, um, a time trial then racer with NASA mid Atlantic, the club that I run with. Um, he would, when we were working on a new pedal set, he went out to his car and he measured the pedal dimensions and then came in and we designed it off of those. It's as real as so yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the exact same position. And, um, and you know what, different cars vary. And so I take feedback from guys like working with a lot of the cup guys, um, they've given me feedback that, you know, things like, Hey, our brake pedal is a lot more centered than yours. You know, yours is a little bit to the right and you go, Oh, okay. This is a difference between road race cars and oval cars. Right. You know, so you take that feedback and you bring it back. Well, back to being a small operation handmade in USA. If we need to make a design change, it doesn't go through, you know, uh, some management process and, you know, design change approval. I just go, hey, I want to make this change, and I go do it. <laughs> That's why I called <laughs> so, you the Grand Poobah. Which... <laughs> Whenever you want to get it done, sure. you get it done. You just get it done, and and um, you know every there's a reason why there's approval processes and big corporations because sometimes you make a change and and then there's collateral effects that that you know are you know you don't want to happen that are bad, and then you got to redesign. And yeah, we run into that stuff too, but we can react really fast. So we you know change the design try it out, go, Oh shit, that didn't work. Or, you know, Oh, didn't see this problem or parts interfering mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. And then we scrap it, we make it again and then we go, okay, cool. This is, this is perfect. Let's do that. And then it goes into the regular production at that point. So I try to limit my design changes, major design changes, which was advice from a friend of mine talking business stuff. Um, a couple of years ago when I would constantly change and, um, because I always wanted it to be better and I, I hated it if I had an idea that was better than what I sell now and it wasn't being incorporated, it drove me nuts. Mm -hmm. So I would just, every time I thought of something cool, I'd make the change. And he stopped. He said, you know, you need to chill out. <laughs> <laughs> you need to say, this is my design right now. And you start pumping them out. And then if you've got changes, you know, work on them, you know, test them out, but don't change the, don't change every order. You right. can just still send out the same one and then incorporate the changes. And, and so that was actually huge for me because, um, when I would make changes, it was a little bit easier to remember what the change was. And then, um, we could make a change and it would be better. And then we could even optimize that. And then, you know, everybody receives the benefit of that. Um, when we do make model changes because it's a really good solid change, there's no compromise whatsoever. And so, you know, all kinds of business lessons here. I, I don't, I don't know. Do I get my business degree after having a business for 10 years or do I still got to get my MBA? I'll allow it. <laughs> I think it works. Okay. Let's go back to racing for so, a little bit because, um, I wanted to ask this, but we got sidetracked. So growing up in, in the Richmond area, where did you guys race? I mean, I know you said you and your dad had a pretty <clears throat> stout operation. Are we talking kind of like local short tracks? Or are we talking road courses? 
when when I was a kid doing carts, it was dirt ovals. So we ran at Capital City Speedway, which is in Ashland, and then we ran at Amelia Motor Raceway, um, uh, which is west of of Richmond. Gotcha um in amelia county and so those were the the primary ones those are the two virginia tracks uh in the um in the circuit and we hit a couple like north carolina tracks we went down to margaretsville um i think there's one called either five county or tri county or something speedway we went tri county yeah and um we would go down we at one point we were getting pretty good and we showed up at i think it was tri county and it was a money race and you show up down there as a who the hell are you person, and you go down there and you win money. Um, they don't like you very much. And let me tell you, we went we we went to the booth to collect our money, and there were people standing around, basically looking at us like, "You boys get the f out of here." <laughs> Coming to my racetrack, taking my money. <laughs> yes, exactly. But um, yeah, we got pretty good. I mean, we did it for years, you know, and, and those are the tra- tracks we ran at, and. And, um, apparently Denny Hamlin was running at Amelia at the same time as oh, wow. I was, but, um, but, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't know who he was and he didn't know who I was. Well, yeah. You guys are around um, the same age, I believe. <laughs> yeah. About the same age we ran. In, I think he ran in stock classes, but I ran in the, um, the high, like higher horsepower classes. Um, I guess I'm compensating. I need more power. To, <laughs> to <have fun. laughs> I'm still, the, I'm still the same way. I have a ls1 e30 bmw right now nice. so I, I just have to have horsepower well i got a nice but, uh, four-door um, ford fusion so i i'm comparable for sure oh yeah totally the same <laughs> and you said you said your uh, employees they all either race currently or have some background in the sport too right <clears throat> oh yeah yeah um at one point all of us were were drivers um doing hbdes or, you know what have you um now most of us are there's only a couple guys that aren't like dedicated spirited racers um and, but yeah i've got you know my powder coater is a drift guy you know he does a bunch of drift events um he's telling you eric he's a time trial and a racer with nasa mid-atlantic um brian who i told you he started the you know he helped me start the business in, in my garage um he's a he's a track guy too he's actually an instructor with nasa mid-atlantic he's now the classroom instructor um and um yeah i mean we're we're all drivers at heart and then obviously i got my iRacer guys that are doing the build you know so they're they definitely get more track seat time than i do just because of how much they're on on iRacing um it's it's definitely in the in the genes of this company i also read that you guys doubled your earnings from 2018 to 2019 and it's april 10th as we record this episode but i have to believe that you guys are on track to smash those numbers in 2020 given given what's going on it goes back to kind of what i said at the start it is a good time to be in the sim rig business right now it is for sure yeah 2018 to 28 to 2019 was doubled revenue um so obviously 2019 was a good year um so far this month which what day are we on we're not quite halfway i think um yeah we have already done 25% of what we did last year. Wow. And this, this one you're, month. Oh, you're talking 25% month. of what you did the entire calendar year last year? We did in a week. Holy shit. <laughs> Good thing that Corona and everything's going to last for another, what, two months or something like that? Man, you're going to be raking in it. Um, You know what, man? I was talking to somebody about this a little while ago. Despite the money that's coming into the company and the cool people I'm meeting, you know, with working with all these cup drivers, 
I would, I swear to you, I would take it all oh, back yeah. if we could just have the real world 100%. back. It's, it's just, it's so weird. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to have the increased business um, when a lot of people are struggling, obviously. Mm-hmm. And so my hope is that I can just, I can pay it forward somehow. Um, I, I am even trying to now with friends that own restaurants and coffee shops, I'm trying to do everything I can to, you know, just help out. I mean, there's ways to help those people out right now. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, figuring out, you know, obviously there's online ordering, but brick and mortar places that are used to have people walking in, they're setting up online ordering that you can pick up, you know, cause they can, you place your order online, you pay online and then they can have it sitting there waiting with your name on it. And so you limit the amount of um, people, you know, crossing paths. Right. And so, um, friends that are doing that, you know, I'm trying to send business their way. And I think everybody else should do the same because, you know, a lot of people have corporate jobs or office jobs and they're not hurting right now. Um, I think it's everybody's, we have social responsibility to limit the exposure, um, to limit the spread of this virus, but we also have social responsibility to help out our friends that um, are, are suffering from the lack of, um, you know, people going out. And, and so I'm trying to do the same thing. And that's my spiel. I'll get off my soapbox. I was going to say, you're going to run for political office in Richmond or something? That's pretty good. <laughs> no way. That's pretty good. I got enough on my plate. Are you kidding me? I got enough people that don't like me. You want to run for politics? <laughs> that's fair. Well, I mean, you talked about paying it forward. I will say this. In a certain respect, I think what you're doing – right now with with building these rigs is paying it forward in a way because there's like like we said hundreds of thousands of and the tv numbers show it millions of people out there in this country that are starving for some form of entertainment and some form of racing and frankly without your guys's entity and business and hard work in richmond without that i mean i can probably say with with almost 100 percent certainty some of the guys that you're seeing race on Sunday and race in the pro series and, and race on Saturday and Saturday night thunder and just overall get into the sport and get on iRacing that that wouldn't be possible without the work that you guys are doing. And, and of course some of your competitors and partners, but I think that's paying it forward in a way too. Yeah. I mean, it is. And thank you for that. Cause it makes me feel less greedy about making money in a hard time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, for sure. There's, you know, there's a, I mean, it started with when the cup races were postponed indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I probably shouldn't say indefinitely. They had a date, but they just kept pushing it yeah. back. Um, when that happened, drivers were talking to each other. And then guys that knew sim people were coming, you know, were sending other drivers to their contacts. So I got contacted by several drivers and team um uh, PR guys and stuff like that saying, Hey, this iRacing thing is happening. So TJ, uh, major started, um, I forgot what his series was called, but he did the replacements. And that was, I'm pretty sure that's like the first of that idea of bringing yeah. in cup drivers. Yeah, it was. So, so it was the replacements. Yeah. And then Ryan Vargas, who was a part-time Xfinity driver, one of my good friends, he had yeah. e-truck series night in America. And then the following Sunday, or no, that that upcoming Sunday was the first pro invitational race at Homestead. So you're right, TJ's yes, replacement right. race is the first one. And so when we saw that race, I think a lot of people started going, I think we need to get into this, the cup drivers, mm-hmm. right? And then when the pro invitational series happened, um, a, a lot of cup drivers that were already sim racers or already had access to a good rig or were familiar with iRacing, you know, no sweat, they jumped in and they had a really good time. 
the ones that didn't have rigs or didn't have good equipment, what have you, they were calling us up and saying, Hey, I need to get, um, you know, X driver in a rig so he can participate in this mm-hmm. series. Cause it's critical that he's in it. Like you want all the names in that series. Yeah. And so we had a showroom full of simulators and we had a bunch of rentals. I made two trips to Charlotte within two weeks and they're all gone because we just busted our yeah. butts to get them down there to get, to get drivers in rigs, to get them in the series. Absolutely. And so that was a, that was a labor of love because, um, you know, a lot of, I was hitting so many stops that I wasn't charging anybody for my time or my mileage to get down there. I was just like, I feel like I need to help these guys out. It's also, I mean, let's be honest. I wasn't doing it just because I'm a super nice guy. I mean, I'm a nice guy, but (laughs) I was also doing it. I was also doing it because it's a great business opportunity and it's a lot of fun meeting all these drivers. Right. So I wouldn't do it. Um, And so two, uh, a Friday and a Saturday, two weeks apart, we left Richmond at 5.30 a.m. and we went down to Charlotte and we did all our stops and we saw all these cup drivers, which I can tell you who if you want to Please. know. And um, so we we went to go see um, Jimmy Johnson. We went to go see William Byron. We went to go see John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Dillon. Um, we brought extra rigs, for one for Tyler Reddick. Um, Anthony Alfredo, he's down there. He's already got mm-hmm. one, but he actually helped me out with a lot of this stuff. Cause I, one of them, I went down by myself and I didn't have any help. Um, another one, I brought Brian with me, we talked about before and he came and ha- you know, gave me a hand. Anthony still came. So I'm um, meeting all these drivers and stuff and uh, just trying to get them going. Right. And um, our first, our first loop that we did, I told Brian before we left, Hey man, let's leave super early. We should be able to get done at like seven o'clock maybe you know six o'clock maybe seven we'll get home like 11 o'clock whatever won't be too bad it's gonna be a long day we didn't finish at john hunter's until i want to say nine o'clock and so then we hopped in the car and drove home we got back at two o'clock in the morning so that was that was pretty tiring especially when you're working all day and you're hustling and you know you're setting up rigs which is mentally stimulating and tiring and then driving home really late at night um and then did it all over again the next Saturday <laughs> to drop mm-hmm. off more equipment, to set up more equipment, to help uh, tune equipment. Like spent a lot of time with Jimmy getting his rig exactly how he wanted it. I, you know, spent an hour down there just just trying to get the pedals a little bit better for him. So um, that was, you know, that that's the kind of work that, that I've been doing over the past couple of weeks, helping these guys out. Yeah, when you, when you said Jimmy Johnson, I kind of just stopped listening because I was like, wait, this man has been in the GOAT's household? Like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yep, twice. So, okay, here, here's a question about Jimmy then. So for the first race, we saw he had kind of like an IndyCar type setup rig where he was sitting below his pedals almost and he had an IndyCar wheel. And then I think the next week right. he had more of a traditional NASCAR stock car setup. So... Was that all you yeah. guys? That was us. Wow. Yeah, he, he was in that. I mean, the the rig, the formula rig he has is nice, but it's just not the right ergonomics and it's paddle mm-hmm. shift. And so, um, you know, he said, I, I would like something that has a better seating position. And I think he asked William. I'm not exact. I can't remember exactly Probably, how yeah. he got through the yeah. network. And then so it, it ultimately got to us to say, hey, can you guys help us out? And it was one of the last rigs I had in the showroom and it's what we call a legend package. So it's really nice. It's triple 32 inch. Well, it's Jimmy Johnson. Right I hope it's nice. Well, yeah, for sure. 
And so, you know, direct dry steering and Willwood pedals and, you know, baller PC. And, and so we loaded that thing up. One of our last rigs left one of the last soldiers wow. and, um, and took it down there and, and got them all set up. And actually that whole day that we went down, I got there about 1030 in the morning to Jimmy's house and we were in, hanging out in his garage and, and Anthony Alfredo came and met me. So here we are, me and Brian, the OG SimSeats garage guys, right? Yep. And now Anthony and Jimmy Johnson hanging out in his garage, setting up equipment. Unbelievable. And then, and, and then I get a phone call. I pick up the phone. It's William Byron calling me. I answer. He goes, hey, man, I'm here at Jimmy's. Can you let me in? <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. Oh, my So here gosh. we are. Me, Jimmy, Anthony. William Byron hanging out in the garage talking sim racing. <laughs> Could you even ever have imagined? Wow. But you know what? I, I've, I've spent a lot of time with, with these guys, you know, cup guys. They're just guys like anybody yeah, else, right? They are. And I'm not a starstruck person, like, you know, so I, I don't get, you know, excited about it. I, I'm not going to take my picture with you. I don't need your autograph. It's all good. Let's just hang out and have fun. And, um, you know, they're, they're just guys trying to have fun too. You know, I think they're, um you know personalities are different of course you might have some people that that um you know are like the king of the castle and they act like mm -hmm. that but none of the guys that i've met are um so it's just hanging out with the guys in, in the garage it's all it really was hey, that, that's but true was and, I, and i i can say too i mean i'm 23 now but when i was a little bit younger i'm not afraid to say that i mean i was kind of starstruck with some of the people that i interviewed one-on-one -on -one and I, i've always been a kevin harvick guy through and through um, but since I transitioned to the media side of things, you know, it came to a point where I didn't look at him in the same light or when I, you know, interviewed Jimmy Johnson in a scrum for the first time, I was kind of like, holy shit, it's Jimmy Johnson. But then now it's more so like, yeah. all right, do your job, get your question out. One of those type of things. So that was kind of one of my yeah. questions too, in terms of it being a, a friendship thing or a business relationship or somewhere in the middle. But it sounds like somewhere in the middle is where you are. And I know you got a limited amount of time, so I got a couple more I want to run through you real quick. Okay. Um, you mentioned Slick Willie B. Um, I wanted to just get a quick <laughs> comment from you because, I mean, Willie B is the, I, I call him Mr. iRacing, right? I mean, last night yeah. with the NBCSN Short Track Challenge, he purposefully fell to the back so he can make it interesting to come up front and try to win. And he finished second to chase Briscoe. So w what has it been like <laughs> being with him throughout his success? Because I mean, he was discovered kind of on iRacing, made it to the real world. Yeah. And now he's killing it driving the 24 for Hendrick Motorsports. So, I mean, having a guy like him in your guys's camp, when you know that there's a lot of different competitors out there that people can get their Sims from, it must be pretty cool to kind of look back on things and think, yeah, Hey, so like, you know, we got, Mr. iRacing himself. Yeah, I mean, so William bought his first rig from me about six years ago, I think it was. I was talking to him about it last time I was down there. And um, I didn't know who William Byron was. I, you know, <laughs> I know he he was, I think he had just finished Xfinity. We were trying to remember. I think he had just finished Xfinity and was going to cup and, and they called me up and, and they ordered the rig and, and I go down there and do the installation. And I mean, let's be honest. I'm, I guess I was 33 at the time, maybe, I don't know. I don't, yeah, something like that. And he was, he was very young. So I'm just like, yeah, it's just a kid that's racing. You know, what's the big he deal? Looks like you know, he's I don't 12. know who he is. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, super nice guy, just like 
you know, anybody else I do an install with and we hang out, you know, at his house and get them all set up and I show him his equipment. His dad is a riot. <laughs> Bill Byron is just, he's so much fun. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I come in, he takes me through the house and takes me to the trophy room immediately. He's like, oh, you got to see all these trophies that Williams won. <laughs> he shows me all these giant trophies that he's won all over the place. I'm like, oh, I mean, it's cool. It really is. It's neat. You know, but I was just cracking up because he Bill's like one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and so, yeah, just hanging out at Williams house installing a rig. And then like a year later I come to do some upgrades for him. And now it's like, Oh, he's a cup driver. And I've been, now I've been paying attention and he's doing really good. Yeah. And you know, like every year, you know, I, I talk to him or, or, or come down to his house and set something up. We had to move him from his, his house to his condo at one point. And, you know, so I, I just keep seeing him and hanging out with him over and over again. And, and it used to be really cool when I get a text from William Byron, like, holy shit, it's William's texting me. And now I'm like, Jesus, what do you want, William? <laughs> That's when you know. That's when you know. <laughs> but no, I'm just playing around yeah. there. I mean, he's a cool dude. And and um, and I'm, I'm extremely fortunate that that he came to us. And, and now we work with him um, on William Byron Esports. Mm-hmm. So we were a sponsor for his program. And, you know, um, he came to me about that because he – you know, we already had a good relationship together. It just made sense. And I really wanted to work with him on it too. So we sponsor his two drivers. And, um, and so that, that really solidified the relationship even more to where, you know, he's very willing now to you know take a picture with his sim seat and, and, you know, give us credit when he does well in a race. Um, you know, we, we just got a really good working relationship now. That's really cool. That's great to hear. Yeah. Listen, I know that we're short yeah. on time. So if, if you got to go, just let me know. Um, but I, 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 I'm okay. We keep rolling. We'll, we'll hit all the points. Cool. Cool. I, I got a few more. Um, in terms of the cost of these rigs, I know that you can go anywhere from Timmy Hill set up on a desk with a Logitech steering wheel from 12 years ago and a desk chair that you got on black Friday, uh, to Denny Hamlin, as Clint Boyer calls it spaceship. That's, he said it's somewhere in the forties, but most people say it's somewhere in the mid sixties. So, I mean, mm-hmm. what do you guys sell in terms of the, the most basic packages to the quote-unquote spaceships that you see Denny Hamlin driving? We have, you know, just the components. You can buy just the SRX driving simulator, and that's 975 with a seat. So that's just the rig. You can bolt your wheel and pedals on it, and you can slide it up to your TV, and you can start driving. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of the basic level. And then you can add on stuff. If you want to add monitor stands, you're talking about, you know, four fifty to nine hundred dollars, depending on what kind of stand you get, um, and so that's your sort of entry level budget type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get into the packages where it's turnkey, which you talked about. People that just don't, don't want to figure stuff out; they just just bring me one that works, and um, I don't have to figure out what to buy or what to set right. up. <clears throat> so that starts at the entry level, as we call it, the rookie package, and. Um, that's uh, sixty-seven fifty, I think, right now. So you're a little under seven thousand for a complete turnkey package. Mm-hmm. Everything there, and then that goes on up. Most of the ones that we sell, um, because we deal with a lot of drivers more than um, you know, we deal with drive people that are drivers first, and then now they're getting into iRacing, right. as opposed to people that you know iRacing first and then got into driving. Which ironically, that's what William Byron exactly. was. But, but. Um, you know, so because that's how many the type, the type of people that we tend to work with, we sell most uh, um, uh, most packages that we sell are either the pro or the legend level. 
which those are, they have direct drive steering, they have hydraulic pedals. And so those are designed to be more like a training device. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not really, we're here to make you fast at racing. We're here to give you more track time and to practice your lines and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and so we sell more of those, which are in the 15 to $18,000 range than we sell of anything else. Gotcha. That, that's what I figured. Now our, our spaceship stuff is when you get into motion <laughs> and we, we have, we use D box for motion. Um, a lot of the other motion systems are, they only move the seat or there there's actually too much motion where the whole thing is like moving a lot. Um, the issue with only moving the seat is that's not uh, that to me, that's not what it feels like your steering wheel staying fixed and then your seat moving around that, that to me would feel like the seat is broken and I'm getting ready to, I need to pull into the pits, right? right. Which I've had that happen before my track cards, kind of a piece of junk. <laughs> 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 so that seems weird. So I don't like that. And then, um, the ones where you have a lot of motion and it moves around a lot, um, you, those are trying to simulate G force, which I think is missing the point. You can't simulate G force. Right. And if you try to, by, you know, turning your body, uh, 90 degrees to the right to get, uh, to get uh, one G of lateral force. Work. Well, it's not going to work. It's going to take too long to get there. It's going to be disorienting and, by the way, doing that, there's no way that you can switch from left to right as fast as you do at VIR on the uphill S's. Those G-forces <laughs> go left to right so fast yeah. that you couldn't, there's no way you could reproduce that. So throw all that away. And I say, I'm going with D-box motion. It replicates suspension movement, which if you think about it that way, that's huge. That's exactly, that. that's what you can actually replicate. And it actually becomes very valuable. So you have you know, dip under braking or it tilts back under throttle and, you know, lean left and right and then hitting rumble strips or hitting bumps yeah. in the track, which could be cues for when you get on or off the throttle right. um, or how rough the surface is. If you watch um, NASCAR, we, we brought a rig to NASCAR at media day and they had the drivers, each driver drove a different track and then they did a video of them. Yeah. Um, describing the track. I don't know if you've seen I, it. That was actually my next question because I literally have on my sheet, <laughs> I saw you were at NASCAR production days in Charlotte. So yeah, you led me right yeah. into it. So so those videos, um, I can't remember who was driving, but there's one guy driving Auto Club Speedway, which is particularly mm -hmm. bumpy. And we it was our, our D-Box motion system. And it was really funny because he's trying to talk through the whole thing. And as he's saying, this track is really bumpy. And he's like, you can tell he's trying not to laugh because <laughs> he can't talk right. right. It's, it's, it's freaking hilarious. But like, that's what it does. You know, it gives you, if it's a smooth track, it's going to be smooth. If it's a bumpy track, you get that feedback. And, you know, so that's, that's what I really like about motion. Um, and, but those, and so all, all that just to say, that's kind of getting into our high level packages if you get a legend pack with motion on it, you're somewhere around $35,000. Um, that's with inch and a half travel actuators. Now those actuators come in three and six inch, um, six inch, probably good for flight sim, you know, where you have a lot of travel and slower. And, um, for us, three inches, probably as much as you need, but those actuators are very expensive. And usually somebody that gets that wants big TVs and just the best of everything. And that's when you get into the $60,000, $70,000 packages. So I think, um, yeah, that was so funny. You led me right into my next question because it seemed like that was a really cool thing for you to do, um, not only just for the SimSeats brand, but also for you to kind of have that experience of 
being with all those cup drivers while they're all fire suited up during production days and everything. I'm sure that was a yeah. cool moment. I think I may know the answer to this. Um, and it might be the story about you guys all chilling in Jimmy Johnson's garage, just talking sim racing. But have there, have there been any other like cool moments where you kind of pinched yourself and said, wow, like this scrap, this scrap heap at, at VCU turned into this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first one was actually, um, media day with fox at daytona not this year but last okay. year and that's they in january they um they they all get together and do their b-real footage mm -hmm. and they do it all at once and they use it throughout the year and so it's the same thing all the drivers get together in the same place and that was definitely a pinch moment because it was a um undisclosed location it was actually a hangar yeah. at, at the airport it, it's disclosed don't worry yeah okay well <laughs> uh most people don't know right. about it <laughs> and um so they're all set up in there and all the drivers are just kind of like walking around hanging out and i'm going where in the hell am i right now <laughs> like everybody's just kind of chilling you know everybody I do not fit in and then and then yes and then well but then you just if you're if you're in the industry you're just one of the media people yep. you know it's just no big deal and so i just tried my best to just be one of those mm -hmm. people and then um, with the simulator, every single driver at the truck, Xfinity and cup level went through the simulator and we had to help them get in and out. Um, and then even some of the, you know, former drivers like Jeff Gordon and Daryl Waltrip walk up and I'm like, all right, here we go. So I got, and we got pictures of everything. So I've got my wall of fame here in the shop and it's got pictures of me and Bubba Wallace or me and Jeff Gordon talking and, uh, you know, I think the pinch moment was like then. I wasn't really thinking about it. I was just trying to do my job and I was trying to help out the production crew because I'm very much into video editing stuff. So I, I really get into it. So I was trying to be as efficient as possible and make sure we got the good shots. And then afterwards, you know, I'm actually standing here right now looking at the wall of fame, looking at the pictures. And it's just crazy. Like just who I'm hanging out with, talking to. Um, and that's the pinch yourself moment when you look at all those pictures and go, holy shit. Like, <laughs> that I was did the first that. one. Uh, that was me. Yeah. That's crazy. Unbelievable. That's really cool. Um, so I want to end yeah. it with this. I was texting Ben this morning and I told him that we we're going to be talking and, um, I was like, Hey, like any, any last minute information I should know. He said, um, that the sim seats is not your full-time job. And he said, quote, you work in chemicals and are wicked smart. So I'll, <laughs> I'll leave, I'll leave that to you to kind of dissect whatever Ben's trying to tell me. But um, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, is this, I guess this isn't your full-time gig and are you wicked smart? Like Ben says, well, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm wicked smart or not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll just, I'll just leave that there and that's for everybody else to figure out. You're smarter out. than Ben. But, we know that. Um, oh, well, I mean, that's not really a high benchmark. Yeah, that's, so that's whatever. Good. That's true. Um, yeah, I started this business while I was working another job and, um, it kept growing and growing. And, um, and so I still have a full-time job and this is a full-time job. I, I, it's probably overtime job. I'm a, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> and so, um, I basically have two full-time jobs right now, but I Damn. love it. And so, um, yeah that's my world right now. <laughs> it's intense. Cause I mean, the way that you talked yeah. about it too, I was debating even asking that question because I mean, 
all the stuff you talk about seems like a full-time gig um waking up at 5 30 yeah. having what 18 hour days and especially what it is yeah. right now i mean you, you're bringing in the revenue like you mentioned no doubt but it's not without any yeah. hard work and seems like you're working overtime yeah. overtime yeah yeah for sure i'm sure it's all worth it but though it's worth it i'm getting it done i don't know where this all ends up i just i just keep working hard and i just um it's it is hard sometimes it's very frustrating yeah. sometimes um because i don't really have a whole lot of time to to go out and just like relax mm-hmm. ever <laughs> i get it <laughs> um but um i guess that's what they call labor of love so i uh, that's what i'm doing man that's my world right now well i will tell you this the future for you and sim seats i think it is very very bright if the last 10 days of the month are any uh indication on the financial side but also just like i said i yeah. mean you, you guys truly are paying it forward and i think what you guys are doing and your story honestly is kind of representative of the american dream so it's uh it's really cool yeah. I'm, I'm glad i got the chance to talk with you um i'm talking with a legend who is uh chilling in jimmy johnson's garage so if, if, if anything other than that, I appreciate your time, your honesty, your candor, your story, and your work. So it was fun, man. I, I really thing, appreciate man. it. Yeah, it was a good time. Thanks for the call. No problem. Keep up the great work. And we're back. Told you that was a cool conversation, right? Zach seems like a really cool guy. He's in his late 30s. He lives in Richmond. He's working two full-time jobs, but he's getting it done while he can. So thank you to Zach for spending uh, about an hour with me here talking about Sim Seats at you can tell the passion in his voice. Uh, this is really something cool that he does. So thank you to Zach again, and be sure to follow Sim Seats on Twitter. And hey, if you want to get into iRacing or sim, sim racing in general, hit him up. Hopefully, they'll give you a victory lane discount. I should have asked for that. That would have been fun. But And also, if you were that guy who was at VIR back in the day listening, hit me up or hit Zach up, and I'll put you in touch because that is a really really cool story no lug nuts of the week to talk about this week since this is a double shot episode for the week and we do not have a scheduled pro invitational series race this upcoming sunday due to it being easter however we have an indycar race at michigan one old dale jr is going to compete in it with jimmy johnson also some i racing on as well all over the place whether it's the replacements that took place this past week at myrtle beach with street stocks IndyCar, like I mentioned, just check twitch.tv slash iRacing. They probably always have something going on for you. But until next week, who will we have on? I don't know. Maybe it'll be a driver. Maybe it'll be a photographer. Maybe it'll be a media member. Maybe it'll be a fan. Maybe it'll be my girlfriend's in some standard parents' house in Delaware on the water. Who knows? We'll see. One thing is for sure. We will see you back here. That will wrap things up for episode 50 of Victory Lane 2.0. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. Peace and love, my homies. Thank you very much for the support. Stay safe. Stay inside.